Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I am your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. Uh, I am thrilled to have you here this week. This week, we are continuing our summer interview series. Um, and as I stated before, this is a series that is going on all throughout the summer. Every other week, uh, we are going to be having a special guest uh, on the show who has a lot of influence in the movement or uh, has a lot to say and I think has a very important voice that I, I think that you need to hear. Last, uh, Our last guest a couple weeks ago was Cliff Maloney Jr. He was the uh, president of Young Americans for Liberty. And this week we have yet another uh, mover and shaker, Jason Stapleton, who is the host of the Jason Stapleton program. He has a very... Uh, very unique background and, and a very interesting journey that I think uh, there's certainly more than a few people who can who can relate to. Uh, he was in the Marines for a few years and he, he got out and got into business and then uh, he branched into libertarianism and of course we talk about that throughout the duration of the show and we, we get into some of his opinions and, and thoughts on some of the more hot-button topics of the day. We talk about issues such as uh, constitutional carry uh, versus national reciprocity. Talk about some of the things that he sees laid out in the future that a lot of people may not uh, may not fully grasp or fully understand. Um, and then, of course, uh, he, he talks to me about some of his biggest influencers that has had the most effect on his life. So if you're not familiar with the Jason Stapleton program, if this is your first time interacting or, or, uh, or getting to, to listen to Jason, I highly recommend that you go and, and look up his program. And he's, he's one of the podcasts that I personally listen to. Um, and I hope that you enjoy our interview here on the Liberty with Jason Stapleton. Uh, Jason, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so, Jason, you are the host of the Jason Stapleton program, and uh, you are a Marine. Um, why don't you tell us about your journey uh, from the Marines and your journey that specifically led you into libertarianism uh, to, to start us off? Sure. I, uh, I, I was in the Marines for, uh, for four years and I got out. And after that, I did some contracting work for a company called Blackwater. And I spent about five years overseas. And the work that I did over there was security work. And I worked mainly for the State Department and uh, well, partially for the State Department and, and some other government entities. And I, it gave me a really close introspective look at, at both what I believed in and also the truth about what I thought was we were doing in Iraq and what we were really doing there. And uh, I always had this belief that we were fighting for freedom and democracy and, and we were spreading liberty and these, these ideas that, that, we, that we were spreading those around the world. And it turns out that uh, that really wasn't the intention of government. The, largely the intention of government, at least the State Department, from what I could see, was justifying their own existence and spending a truckload of taxpayer money. And uh, during that time, I was also learning a lot about how to trade, and I was getting to be a pretty uh, – a, a decently comp uh, competent currency trader. 
And currency trading involves a deep, a good understanding of politics and economics in order for you to kind of look at what's happening around the world and, and to make some good decisions about where you ought to be putting your money. And so the whole time I'm studying about politics and economics, I'm actually living in with the detailed understanding of how the government operates on a very large scale in, uh, in, 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 in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. And I got really jaded and, and angry and frustrated with what our government was doing and how it conducts itself. And the more I learned about economics and, and the laws and, and principles that guide the creation of wealth and prosperity in the world, I just began to realize that what I believed, what I thought, what I believed wasn't true. And I had to change my perspective and and change what I believe. When you're when you're faced with a new reality, you have to make different choices. And so, uh, what I found was I read a book by Ron Paul. And up until that time, I kind of thought Ron was a a kooky old man that that had some good ideas, but that was just a little crazy. And after reading his book, uh, A Revolution, A Manifesto, as the title of it, it was uh, it was eye opening because it was like he understood. Everything that I was experiencing, everything that I believed, but I didn't really understand how to articulate. And so from that point on, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not a conservative. I'm not, uh, I'm not a constitutionalist. I really am a libertarian. And from that moment forward, it has been uh, that that's been my position. Uh, so you would you would definitely say that you were not at all libertarian whenever you started out. Were you just more or less politically apathetic? Uh, like. Before you no, got no. the Marines, or uh, no, I'd, I'd I'd say I was neoconservative. I'd I'd say I was I was very much in favor of uh, of, of spreading freedom and liberty around the world, <laughs> so to speak. That's that was my I, I joined the military because I had a deep passion for the ideas of liberty, and I it was it was in the Marine Corps we call it good initiative, bad judgment, mm-hmm. and I think that's what I was engaged in. I think I really wanted. I knew these ideas of liberty and and freedom that we had were wonderful things, and I wanted to be part of protecting people who wanted to have those things, and I wanted to be part of protecting Americans who who enjoy those freedoms, and uh, it, it so I was I was very much in that camp, and and I so I'm I'm, I'm more sympathetic I think to people who are there, because I came from that. And understanding that, hey, those guys really are on the right track. It's just a little misguided. And so I, uh, it's, it's been my experience that I've, I've, it's probably a little bit easier for me to talk to those folks because of my experience, my background. Uh, so I, I know labels is, is kind, of, kind of meaningless, but, but in the grand scheme of things, would you consider yourself a little bit more minarchist? Um, or would you define yourself as a classical liberal? What spectrum I, I don't know. on libertarianism would you would you think that you are? Well, I, I'm not an anarchist uh, in any sense of the of the word. I I think maybe the more I study and the more I talk to people who put themselves into these different boxes, I think you'd have to qualify me as either a, a, a minarchist or an objectivist, um, one or the other. And I don't particularly like either one of those boxes because I, I you know I have my own opinions about every situation but i if you sure. if i got to go into one of those two if i got to go into a box which is important to be able to identify what people believe then it's one of those two uh so so how would you specifically define liberty 
Um, well, I, I, I define liberty by five basic principles. Um, it, it was It's individualism, um, peace tolerance, free markets, uh, and uh, – oh, grief. Good grief. Now I can't even remember the five. <laughs> it's the five principles. Um, we, we go individualism, peace tolerance, free markets, and uh, – and, uh, oh, damn it. Now I can't remember the last one. Anyway. You get the you get the idea. Right. Is right. that I've got these I've I've got a I've got these principles that I kind of work from, and in every situation I kind of I kind of look at okay how does this how do the five principles kind of fit into this idea uh, or into this particular situation? And my idea has always been to reduce government to as small as humanly possible and to reduce taxation as and to reduce taxation by the same end. Uh, I happen to think taxation is theft. I think that government, if it does serve a role, it serves a role of protecting life, liberty, and property and nothing else. And therefore, it doesn't have a business engaging in anything that doesn't do one of those three things. And when you remove both government's ability to compel others uh, and its ability to create monopoly and you have it focused just essentially on doing those three things, then you, whether you have a government or don't have a government is really inconsequential because all you have is a mechanism for protecting protecting someone's right to live their life as they see fit. Um, I'm glad you you brought that up uh, when, you, when you said taxation is theft, because that's certainly something that I agree with and uh, many of my listeners agree with. Uh, but I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. Um, knowing that, that you have a military background, and as you just said, the, the primary institution, uh, the primary role of, of government institution is to protect life, liberty, and property. Um, how do you propose that that is 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 possible without some form of taxation? Well, I think it can be done. Listen, if you want my, I don't know. So, in my opinion, most of the things that government is going to do, if you're talking about protecting life, liberty, and property, what you're really talking about is some sort of security mechanism, sure. and also some sort of way to to adjudicate disputes, whether through arbitration or through a court system. So it, one of the both of those things can be accomplished through a user fee. See, you might want the police to show up or you might want to have a private company provide your security or you might opt for no security. And if that's the case, then there's no reason you should have to pay for a police department if you don't ever intend to use them. And the, the police department shouldn't be required to show up if you haven't paid for their services. Same thing with a fire department. Um, if you're going to go to court, and you're going to try and adjudicate a dispute, then you can pay for the fees that are associated with with that uh, that particular engagement. Same thing with arbitration. There's no real reason that the government th – there are rare exceptions. So in the form of national security, for example, lots of people say that they figured out ways to do it and people have written books on how it could be accomplished. I'm unsure how you provide for a national defense, an, a, an army, especially a standing army, without taxation. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we're in a, if we lived in the time before Napoleon, and people don't, a lot of people don't understand this, but prior to Napoleon, they really didn't have standing armies. Uh, Napoleon was really the first person right. to create a standing army. And now, in order to really provide for national defense, you have to have one. You can't just disband them and send them all home until the next time we have to go to war because people will wipe you out while you're trying to figure out how to raise troops and build build the weapons and equipment necessary to defend yourself. So 
In that respect, um, I don't know how that happens. And if we can get the government all the way down to the only thing it, tax, it taxes for is is national defense, well, then we've done a pretty good job. And so um, we, then we could try some of those things. I'm not opposed to trying a lottery to pay for national defense. I just don't know that it would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point, too, because uh, we're, we're certainly a far, a far way away from just completely – uh, abolishing any sort of taxation or anything like that, but the the baby steps are, are certainly important, and uh, and and getting to that that area um, can be accomplished in a long run. I would say. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see. We'll see. We got to. We, we, we you know you take you take an inch here and an inch there, and the most right. important thing is is that we don't give up ground, right. and that's the biggest problem. Is people want to compromise, and and in the end they want to give up ground, and that's that to me is a, a compromise takes us closer in our direction, not further away. Uh, that's that's something you spoke a lot about, especially uh, leading up to the the Libertarian uh, National Convention and the general election, uh, speaking about. Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. I know you have some very strong opinions about Bill Weld, especially, um, and a, a lot of those opinions I, I agree with. Uh, is the Libertarian Party? Do you think just do they just not know what exactly it is they want, uh, or or is it just that they they're they think that they're just playing a game or something? I don't know because I'm not on the inside. I can I can just look at it from the outside like everybody else and say, well, whatever whatever they're trying to accomplish, they're doing it possibly the worst way they could. <laughs> and and so I mean, we'll see what happens in the next election cycle, but I I don't foresee them do, making any great headway. Uh, in advance of what they've done this last year. I don't care who they elect. And it would seem to me, even if you want to get elected, that you would still put up candidates that believe what you claim to stand for and not pick a couple of guys that are in, in no, really have no, no real ties to libertarianism. Uh, I know Gary Johnson likes to talk about it, and people say, "Well, because he's pro he's pro marijuana legalization, he's a libertarian." But to me, the the principles and ideas go much deeper than that. It's about a it's a it's about a personal philosophy of how we live our lives and how we interact with others. And clearly, the man didn't ha- didn't really understand the principles of liberty. That was apparent in the conversations he had on television. It was apparent in the debates he had against uh, against the other candidates. And and Bill. Weld never even made he never even made the claim. He said right. he switched to the Libertarian Party, but he never he never even made the claim. Yeah, I'm a Libertarian. He just it's just it's silliness. And so I don't know what they're doing. I I, I I'm very 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 disappointed in the Libertarian Party, and and uh, frankly, um, I'm glad I'm not. I'm not a registered libertarian because I I'm really the toughest part for me is because I I say I'm a libertarian there's an association there with the party and I have worked very hard to try and separate myself from the party because they are so toxic. Right. And that is rather unfortunate because I think that there is a very strong uh need for a third party in the country to 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 break up the duopoly between the Republicans and the Democrats but the Libertarian Party, at least, I, I, I do think there are very serious Libertarians, yeah. but the Libertarian Party just, just seems like well, it's, it's a joke. 
And listen, there are good people in the Libertarian Party who sure, are trying sure. to do good things. And and every time I, I feel the need, every time I, I kind of get I kind of bash the LP to to point out that man, I have friends who work for the Libertarian Party. They're they're they it that is their passion. That is what they spend their life doing. Uh, that's their hobby. Uh, if you I mean after work, it's work and the Libertarian Party. Or in many cases, it's just the Libertarian Party. That's how they that's how they make their living. And they're they're trying to do the right thing and they really do have good intentions and they are stuck with a a, a party and a group of, of delegates that frankly um frankly i to i don't know want to self-destruct from what i can tell yeah yeah and and i think it's further important that uh even though sometimes um we may hit hard on uh, those within the libertarian party i i think it's it's because you have to clean your own house first before you can you can go around and start telling other people you know this is this is bad what are you doing uh, if you're not consistent then people aren't going to take you seriously mm-hmm. um, so I, I want to shift gears just slightly uh, given the recent attacks uh, for example in London and and the rise of, of certain areas of terrorism across the world do you think that liberty is in a safer place today, or or do you think that that we've lost more ground than what we've gained? Um, I, I don't think that the terrorist attacks really push push it one way or another. I, I think that one of the things that it, well, the terrorist attacks do anything here at home is they strengthen the resolve of of conservatives who want to create a police state through sure. legislation. We've we've got currently a bill. Uh, that's been brought up to increase the ability to to confiscate your wealth, uh, civil asset forfeiture, and to do that uh, for for any number of reasons. They're expanding their powers and they're expanding what classifies as basically a terrorist activity to some really just absurd levels. And so far that if if you don't fill out a specific form, if you're going to transfer more than $10,000 worth of cash, they can can confiscate not only the $10,000, they can confiscate everything you own, your your bank accounts, your home, your business. They'll just take it all. And they are using this right now as a tool to fund local police departments. The police departments steal money through civil asset forfeiture, and then they get a call and says, hey, we'll settle for you. We know this is bogus. We took this without any evidence, and if we go to court, it's it, it, we, we're going to have to give it all back. But you know what? It's going to cost you $100,000 to go to court with us. So how about we settle? Uh, we'll keep 50 and we'll give you 50 back. And that type of stuff is just, I mean, it's heinous. It's, that is extortion. Mm-hmm. The government is acting as a mafia. And so, if anything, these terrorist attacks help to diminish liberty, not through the threat of terrorism itself, but through the threat of the response that comes from our government. Uh, so do you think that, that, that people are more willing to, to give up those liberties now? Yes. I, I think they – I think – in a, in this in our society today what i think is people have become accustomed to someone else absorbing the risk of their life and so one of the things that comes with liberty true liberty is risk 
that you are now responsible for your life. And yeah, there is the chance that you might starve and there's a chance that you might not have a job and that you might not be able to pay your bills and or that you might get sick or injured and not be able to afford uh, the, the best medical treatment available. All of those things that you might not be able to live where you want to live because the costs are too high or whatever. That's the cost of living in a free society. And unfortunately, the majority of people would gladly sacrifice a little bit of their liberty to have some security. And this is human nature, by the way. Uh, there have been study after study done on human nature, and almost without, well, without exception from the ones I've read, uh, people will choose a sure thing. They will choose security and safety over liberty, even if it means a potential for massive gain. And that is the, that, that's what we're working against, right? We're working against human nature, a desire to have their needs met and to have those needs guaranteed. And it doesn't matter whether you know, they're really guaranteed or not. All they want is for someone to say, don't worry, I'll take care of you. Just give me a little bit of your liberty. And it comes in inches, inch by inch. This is why I say we're not going to take it back in one fell swoop. We're going to take it back inch by inch. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but yeah, there is there is a propensity for human beings to want someone else to take over their problems and to alleviate them of the burden. And terrorism only helps to exacerbate that. How how do you convince people to to be able to to see it the opposite way that that liberty is not worth giving up that safety is is only temporary at best uh, and it's for for the most part especially if it's government provided it's often a false sense of security how do you, how do you convince people to see, to see that I I found the easiest way to do it is to show them the results. So we've ha- we have t- today on the show two great examples of it. We had uh, on the one hand we had uh, a, we've been following the Venezuela thing for uh, over a year now, maybe sure. two years, and just I've been I've been uh, chronicling it as the decline has happened. So at every new stage, I kind of come on and say, okay, here's where we are now, just so that everybody can do it. Because we have, it's a beautiful opportunity. I have a lot of of, of young kids who listen to my show. Their parents have them listen. <laughs> and and so one of the things I want these kids to understand is no one is talking about Venezuela. Nobody in the media, you've got to go and you've got to dig for the stories on Venezuela. It's just not getting any airtime in the mainstream media. And so what I want these kids to recognize is you have a real live working socialist experiment that is failing in front of our eyes. And I want them to see the progression of people who had food and who were living well and who had guarantees from the government descend into starvation with 700% inflation every year and the government now rounding up all of its political opponents and imprisoning them. That's what's happening. That's the stage we're at right now. And then you point to something like uh, like Illinois that's been run by progressive Democrats for as long as anyone can remember. And you look at those guys are now $15 billion in debt. They've got $250 billion in unfunded liabilities and pensions that they can't pay. Their taxes are so high that their state is losing citizens to the tune of, uh, you know, three, three to 5% every single year. And they can't pay their bills. They're going to go bankrupt. It's just a matter of time. And so I can point out and I can say, okay, here are the policies. Here's what created this mess. And if you want to see what Illinois looks like, if they continue where they're headed, look to Venezuela. 
And so the, the easiest way, the most effective way to explain to people that the difference between liberty and 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 socialism and the, and protection versus risk is to show them listen the idea that you have security is a facade the idea that you you have a job and that you don't have you don't risk being fired or that you have a pension and so that money's going to be there that's all a facade it doesn't really exist you don't have that pension until you've taken the money and you've got it in your pocket it doesn't exist and if you're looking at any major metropolitan city around the United States, virtually all of them have problems with their pension systems. And so by showing them, listen, the government is promising you safety and security, but they cannot deliver. Here are the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Now all of a sudden people start to realize, hey, I've given up all of this liberty. I'm being taxed through the nose because of all these promises that the government said they were going to give me, and I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get any of it. And they start to realize that all I've done is give up my liberty for nothing. Um, so what do you think is the biggest issue that we don't necessarily are looking at today uh, or don't necessarily even see today, or it might not even be an issue entirely today, but but maybe in the next five to ten years it will become um, something that everybody will be talking about what what do you think that issue is uh, or if, if you haven't thought about it maybe that's that's something that that could be uh, discussed right now but what what do you think an issue is that that will be um, something massive in the next five to ten years yeah I, I think we're facing a very a very untenable economic situation. Uh, I, I think the stock market and the bond market have, have bo uh, both have bubbles. And I think if you look back to 2000, 2009, uh, to, and, 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 and now beyond, is what you're going to see is every single time we have a bubble burst, it's worse than the time before. So we had 1987, then we had 2000, and 2000 was worse than, than 87 was. Now we have 2009. 2009 was worse than 2001. And at some point in the future, we're going to have the equity and the bond bubbles break. And when that happens, it's going to be catastrophic. And I have been kind of laying it out because we have problems not just here in America. We have really massive problem, massive problems in China. And if China decides to go into recession, which it may at some point, well, there's no doubt it will. The question is, if does it happen in five years or 10 years or what? Right. When it goes into recession, Australia is going to be hit because Australia makes the, makes the majority of its money through, or, uh, through uh, mining exports, mining exports that China has been buying so that it can go on this massive expansion. And China is really financially wrecked. Uh, they're keeping it together now, but they're they're in terribly bad shape. So is America. Then you go to Europe and you see that virtually 80% of the banks in Italy are on the verge of financial collapse. You look at same problems in Spain, and you look at problems in France with the austerity that they've been forced to uh, they've been forced to under. You look at Greece. Germany is still doing well right now, but they're really the only one. And they have been plagued with massive immigration and now potentially civil wars with, uh, with the fights that have been happening there. There's a, ma a major culture shift that's happening in Europe because of the immigration, migration, and refugee stuff that's happening there. Um, there is no good economic signs on the horizon. And what I am constantly pushing people to do is rather than just sit around 
and wait for the end and, and be freaked out about it instead of me getting uh, on some Alex Jones type of soapbox and telling them you better wake up America. What I say is these things are coming. Here's how you prepare. Your store of knowledge, your store of skills, your abilities are what are going to make you valuable in the future. The more of them you have, the more valuable you will be. So the best that possible thing that you can be doing right now is investing in your own human capital so that if one day the collapse happens and your boss shows up with a pink slip and says, I'm sorry, we can't keep you on anymore, you can say, okay, no problem, I, I got other options. And the problem with Americans today is most of them don't think about that stuff. Most of them think they got a good job. They think that everything's fine. They're watching the unemployment rate decrease, and they're thinking to themselves, ah, maybe the economy's turning up. And I've spent right. a great deal of time on my show trying to provide evidence of that that's not the case. And although economics is, a t is terrible with timing, there's no denying the laws. It will eventually happen, and it is going to be terrible. And the longer you put it off, the 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 worse it inevitably yes. becomes. The bigger yeah. the bubble becomes, and and uh, especially because because people perceive it to be happy days in America, and so their their guard is even even more put off. Yep. What do you think with with the with the congressional? Obviously, we are all familiar with the congressional uh, shooting uh, with the baseball game. Um, there was uh, the governor of Virginia saying that there was 93 million Americans die every day. Um, I'm not really sure where he got that statistic. It's it's quite alarming if <laughs> if uh, if if that ever turns out to be true. Um, but uh, again, this is something that I guess on on the opposite end of this, this is where where the left tends to be more security above liberty. Um, is, is that something that you think uh, a majority of Americans aren't willing to, to surrender on, on issue, issues like gun rights? Um, or is that something that you think eventually people are just going to become tiresome? Um, I think one of the things we have going for us is we have a very, very large group of people who care passionately about their right to keep and bear arms. And I think a shooting like this just justifies and, and proves yet again that no one can protect you but you. At the end of the day, you are responsible for your security, for the security of your wife, your husband, your children, um, your family, the people that you love. And nobody can protect you at the end of the day. The cops can't get there fast enough. The Capitol Police were there, right there. They were there providing security. And that guy managed to critically wound several people before he was finally taken down. It just it can happen so fast, and there is nobody there who's going to protect you. And the idea that we somehow have a right to tell someone, well, you know what, you don't have the right to defend yourself is a foolishness. And I, the, the nice thing is, is I don't see anything in our culture that is going to that's going to prevent the, the uh, sorry the the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, from from being something that we continue to have in this country. Uh, I think that they will try and chip away around the edges, and sometimes they will succeed in preventing, uh, you know, concealed carry or or preventing handguns. But just look at the explosion in concealed carry in Kansas. You used to not be able to carry concealed. Um, now, not only can you carry a concealed weapon in Kansas, you don't even need a license to do it. Mm -hmm. You can you, any 
any person eligible to purchase a handgun can carry a concealed weapon. And Missouri, who I never thought in a million years would do it, just passed the same law. So you would think if progressives were, if, if the progressive uh, rule applied, that all of these people who aren't, who don't know how to use guns now have guns <laughs> and they're carrying them around, that we ought to have people killing each other right and left. And the truth is, it doesn't happen. And more importantly, there are some there are some studies that show that it reduces the risk of uh, to to people because hey, a guy's less the guy's less confident to pull a gun on you if he doesn't know whether or not you're carrying one. Um, so where where do you fall on the line between constitutional carry and national re- uh, reciprocity? I think it's. I think the Constitution says that it is a. Uh, it is a constitutional right for you to be able to keep and bear arms. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there, there's, there's no specification in there that says, well, keep and bear arms. We're going to interpret that to mean you can have a rifle but not a pistol, or you can have a pistol but you have to carry it on the outside of your waistband. Uh, there's the, the government. The, the the Constitution makes no condition for that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, I don't think the government has any resp- role or responsibility to keep someone from bearing arms. Doesn't matter how they want to do it. Uh, so, what what uh, figure or what personality or, or what idea has influenced you the most um, over the years, especially uh, in in your journey into into where you stand right now with libertarianism? I think Thomas Sowell. And Walter Williams um, have done more to to kind of help me understand the principles of free markets and liberty uh, more than anybody else. And those two guys are just they're they're incredible economic minds, and they've written ser- many really good books. And I would invite either one, all of your listeners, to go and and read what they've written. They're, they're, some of them are not easy reads. Thomas Sowell wrote a, a just an incredible book on economics called Basic Economics, and the name is deceiving because it is a big book and it is it goes into detail. But it was it's just incredible. Um, I've learned more from those men about what it means to be free and about the fallacies perpetrated by progressives than, than anything else I've read, uh, or, or watched. Um, some other, I mean, Ron Paul has, has had an effect on me. As I said, it, it was, it were his words that actually converted me and made me realize what I really believed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those guys I think have had more influence on me than anybody else. Uh, do you think that libertarians are, are eventually, inevitably, going to win out in the end? Or the ideas of liberty, even if it's not under the libertarian banner? Um, because ultimately, you know, there, it's, about, it's about the ideas, not necessarily uh, the, the, the philosophy that, that people you know, like, to, like to rally around or the labels that they rally around. Do you think that those ideas will eventually uh, win out in the end? I'd like to believe so, but history doesn't doesn't provide that as a very history doesn't tell us that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what history tells us is that there will be a constant struggle, and that it will ebb and flow, and we will move from periods of tyranny to periods of liberty, and then back again. Uh, my, I see my job and my role is to try and prevent that shift to 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 keep us in a fight and to keep us on the right side, on the winning side of that fight. Because uh, progressives are not suddenly going – I mean, just look at socialism, communism, uh, fascism. I mean, these ideas have been tried many times, especially the communism and socialism. And there's not a single communist or socialist nation that has ever survived. 
And yet you still have people in college campuses today, you still have people on national news that think communism is the way we, way we need to operate, that progressivism and collectivism uh, is the wave of the future. So it's not as though you're just going to prove to these guys, well, you can point to failed state after failed state after failed state. They got an excuse for every single reason why every one of them failed. And so I don't think you're ever going to convince people that taking your stuff away and and telling you how to live your life because they know better than you is going to be something you can convince them isn't true. I think more than likely we are going to be locked in a struggle for as long as we choose to engage in it uh, where we are fighting against the, 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 the powers of tyranny and oppression. And we need as many people as possible who are vocal about the ideas and principles of liberty. And, and I view my job as helping them understand them. Because people – see, people uh, talk about stuff that's going on in their daily lives. Now, they don't remember what happened last month or last year. They tend to forget about stuff that isn't right in front of them. But every day they're watching the news. Every day they're seeing what's happening. And every day they're wanting to know, how do I take what I just watched in the news, the incident that just happened, and how do I use it to spread a message of liberty? And that's really what my show is about, is how do we take these current events how do we teach people what this has to do with the five principles? And then how do we send them out and make them advocates? Not everybody's got to start a podcast or a radio show. Not everybody's got to run for office. But what we need is every single person who cares about these ideas to be vocal about them. And that's that's what I try and convince people to do. Um, so we're getting ready to wrap up here, but I just uh, want your take on what is the if you, if you could just tell people one thing and, and one message that uh, you would like people to hear and like people to know and just, just sit on and ponder on, what would that be? Um, well, what I would say as it, as it relates to these ideas that we've been discussing today is that in every case, no matter which country you look at, no matter which, uh, which uh, dictator or, or individual you look at, leader, I guess is another way to put it, no matter who you look at, every time we move closer towards collectivism, close, closer towards progressivism, we get closer to tyranny and oppression and the standard of living and the lives of the average citizens decrease every time, without exception. Likewise, when we turn towards liberty and we move towards principles of limited government, individualism, peace tolerance, and free markets, when we focus our eyes and our attention on creating more of that, everyone's standard of living rises. Wealth, opportunity expands. And so no matter where you are on the political spectrum, I don't care whether you agree with everything that I believe in or whether you just believe in a little bit, understand this. The more you focus on those five principles, the more you focus on specifically individualism and free markets, the wealthier you will be, the more opportunity you will have, and the more and the brighter future you will have for your children and your grandchildren. If you choose to go the other direction, if you choose to focus on security and having your needs met by someone else, Understand that what will happen is your standard of living, the opportunity that you now have, will begin to erode away. And the opportunity and, and the world that your children and grandchildren will inherit will be less of a world than you had. That's what I want people to know. 
All right. Uh, Jason, where can they find you on, on social media if they wanted to reach out to you? Um, you can find me at uh, Twitter, uh, Jason underscore Stapleton. That's the easiest way. I'm also on the Facebook, but I really don't – I don't do a whole lot of social media anymore. I find it to be a, 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 just a giant time suck and, and a waste of time. So I don't do a lot of that. You can go to the website, jasonstapleton.com, and you can check out everything. And, and my podcast is available pretty much everywhere. So whatever, however you listen to a podcast, you can find it, the Jason Stapleton program. All right. Excellent. Sounds great. And uh, you can, of course, find me on Twitter at Caleb Franz. Follow the show uh, at Mill Liberty on Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes so that you'll never miss an episode or an update. Uh, And until next week, we'll see you.